you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com slash events. I wish I'd met Ben Perez before this all happened. When he still had dreams he thought he could make come true. When he still believed people were mostly good. But I didn't. I met him after. After he was betrayed by someone he trusted. After he signed away his life savings. After he took a trip to a place called California City. Hi, Ben? Hello. I first talked to him in June 2018. It was less than a year after he said he'd been tricked into buying a worthless piece of desert land. I got your name because you wrote a ripoff report review, right? Ripoff report is this website people go to to write scathing complaints when they feel like they got ripped off, hence the name. Ben told me he'd lost around $31,000. And despite his best effort, he hadn't gotten that money back. That's actually my five years savings. I worked five years just to save that $30,000. That's five years savings? Because I want to open a food truck and I lose all that money. And now I'm back to zero. I only have have $1,000 in my bank. I lose all that money and I I really want to open a food truck. And my dream did not happen anymore. I'm so sorry. Yeah. What kind of food truck? Like Japanese teriyaki food truck. Ben is a cook at the Google headquarters in Mountain View. Or he was, before coronavirus. But ever since he'd arrived in California from the Philippines in 2011, he'd been dreaming of something better. Something bigger. He wants to be his own boss. He wants to support his family. He wants to invest in his future. And the Japanese teriyaki truck, that's Ben's version of the American dream. A dream that would end up being used against him, leaving him with nothing. I really hope to get that money back. I don't know what to do. You know, no one can help me. I don't know where to go. The place where Ben said he'd been ripped off is called Silver Saddle Ranch and Club. It's a dude ranch. It's basically this rundown, kitschy hotel where you can shoot guns and ride horses. And it's way out there, 100 miles north of Los Angeles, in the Mojave Desert town of California City. It is so isolated that when you drive out there, you kind of feel like you're in a horror movie. After I talked to Ben, I talked to a lot of other people who also claimed they'd been scammed at Silver Saddle. They wrote complaints on Ripoff Report, too, and on Yelp, and on the Better Business Bureau, and this website called Scammion. And it's kind of crazy how much their stories have in common. A lot of them start like this. You get a phone call from someone who sounds just like you. Sorry to bother you at the dinner time. We'd like to offer you opportunity to Uh, for the real estate investment. The voice on the phone is calling from Silver Saddle Ranch. 
and they invite you to a hotel to learn about a real estate opportunity. And at the hotel, they'll offer you a free weekend at a resort in the desert. You wonder, how did this person get my number? Probably from that Filipino grocery store. Turns out that raffle you signed up for while buying groceries, it was for this. Or maybe it's not a phone call. Maybe it's a friend who invites you out to the ranch. They tell you, it'll be fun. Come on. And she's like, oh, well, it's going to be cool. There's like, it's free. And I was like, okay, it can't hurt, right? Like, What the hell? Sounds fun. So you go. You drive out to the desert expecting something elaborate, something stunning, a fancy resort like the ones in Palm Springs. But when you get there, it feels like a ghost town. It's vacant. I mean, you know, it's like a vacant lot. A lot of brown, like a lot of dirt. Oh my gosh, is this really the resort? So you check in, and you notice that most of the people there are Filipino, or Latino, or Chinese. There's a lot of elderly people, and a lot of people who don't speak English super well. And of course you can't tell by looking, but they just don't seem like savvy investor types. So yeah. they kind of marketed to a, I guess, a vulnerable, <laughs> vulnerable group of people. By the end of the weekend, you will come to believe that you will get rich if you buy a piece of land out here. Then they were saying how it's going to be very developed. A lot of people are coming in. And for us to get in early would be the smartest thing to do. You will try to get your money back, but you will fail. And you will feel ashamed and angry and betrayed. How could you pray on your fellow Kababayans like that? That was a terrible experience. I would never recommend that to anyone. You know what? We are immigrants. We thought in America we cannot imagine this happened to us. I talked to more than 25 people who invested with Silver Saddle. But it was Ben's story that stuck with me. Maybe because it was still so fresh. It had happened just a year before I met him. Or maybe it was because the money he said he'd lost had meant so much to him. Or maybe it was that he'd asked me for help. I, I want to ask, how do you think yeah. I can do to get my Should I find a lawyer? His phone cut out a little, but he asked me what he could do to get his money back. I wasn't sure what to tell him beyond what I always tell people when I'm reporting. That maybe together we can bring some attention to this and maybe enough people will notice and something will change. I had no idea how hard that would be. I didn't know that there are thousands of people like Ben all around the world. I didn't know that the way some of them were pressured into buying land It wasn't just unethical, it was illegal. I didn't know that people in the past had tried and failed to put a stop to it. I told Ben I would try to figure it out. Okay, um, all right, I'm really glad you emailed. Thank you so much for talking and I will be in touch very soon. Okay, yeah, just feel free to um, email me or contact me. Okay, I will. Thank you so much, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. I'm Emily Guerin. Welcome to California City. This is episode one of seven. 
Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. I knew Ben had spent a lot of money. I knew his dreams of selling teriyaki on the streets of San Jose had taken a serious setback. But what I could not get my head around was how a guy who was so dead set on saving this money could go away for a weekend and come back broke. I needed to know exactly how it happened. So last January, I flew to visit Ben in San Jose. The morning I met him was bleak and foggy, and cold by California standards. Not the kind of weather people imagine when they move here to chase their dreams. Emily, I'm coming outside. Oh, okay, cool. Bye. I waited for him on the sidewalk outside his apartment. Ben lives next to a freeway on a noisy, potholed road. He lives in one of those boxy, early 80s condo villages where every building looks identical and forgettable. I'm in the parking lot. I'm looking at the building it says 464 on the side and then there's there's like two four apartments oh is this you okay we did that thing where i was still talking to him on the phone as he walked up hi nice to meet you finally is it this one yeah okay ben was 26 but he looked younger than i imagined he had the kind of stubble men have when they can't really grow a beard He wore a black hoodie, baggy track pants, and a red baseball hat. And he had a small stud in one ear. We walked into his apartment to grab something. The curtains were drawn, so I couldn't really make anything out. And I awkwardly complimented the first thing I saw. Nice Christmas tree. Ben apologized for it being messy. But it wasn't messy. He reached under the coffee table and grabbed a tote bag. This is the bag that I got from Silver Saddle. I have all the documents here. I want to show it to you later. Okay. So you can take a look. Yeah. It's like kind of a nice bag. Yeah. Um, well, should we like drive around a little bit? We left and walked out to his car, a seven-year-old Audi sedan that was giving him trouble. He didn't have the money to fix it. Ben wanted to take me to the mall to get coffee. So I tried to fill the silence as we drove. So how, how many people live with you in your apartment now? There's five of us, and it's a two-bedroom apartment. So how do you split up the bedrooms? Ben was living with his three brothers and his sister. Now his mom is there, too. He sleeps on the couch. And when I asked him how they decided who got the couch, he just shrugged and said, Me? You just were like, I'll, t- I'll take the couch? Yes. 
I was surprised by how shy he was. He'd been so much more forthcoming on the phone. And in his online reviews of Silver Saddle, I mean, his anger was practically jumping off the screen. Bunch of liars, he wrote on Yelp. I work hard for that money and everything went to waste. Now I feel stupid and ashamed about myself. And then he wrote in all caps, you destroyed my life. I just couldn't square angry internet Ben with this whisper of a man who averted his eyes and mumbled. Do you like coffee? Yes. Honestly, I was getting a little nervous. I mean, I'd flown all the way up here from LA and he was giving me one word answers. It wasn't until we were waiting for our coffee at Starbucks and I asked him about what he likes to cook that he began to open up. Or the closest thing to opening up I think Ben ever gets. You said you developed some recipes? I like. Like what are some of your favorites? Chicken teriyaki, Hanan Thai curry, which is really good. Beef broccoli, chicken broccoli. I added a lot of stuff on it to make it more delicious and serve a fine dining experience to Googlers. I realized how seriously Ben takes his job cooking for Googlers. But he has bigger dreams. He wants to be on the show Final Table, which is a showdown between famous chefs. You want to be on that show? Yeah. You want to be like one of the best chefs in the world? Yeah. Do you think you're going to? Yeah. (laughs) The mall was kind of noisy, so we ended up sitting in his car. He slouched in the driver's seat and spun the coffee sleeve around his cup. One short sentence at a time, I slowly learned more about Ben. He was born in Glendale, which is a suburb of L.A. But when he was four, his parents moved back to the Philippines because his dad lost his job at an architecture firm. They thought it would be easier there, but it wasn't. We actually struggled a lot. Like, there's times that we only eat once a day. And then ben was super into math as a kid, and he especially liked algebra. But his classes were chaotic, and a lot of the time, the teacher didn't even show up. There weren't enough desks, so kids were sharing chairs and writing on scrap paper on their laps. And Ben wrote really, really small on his scrap paper to make it last longer. I want to be like engineer or a doctor when I was younger, but since of the lack of education, the only thing that I was thinking to do when I grew up is to be a chef. And that's what I've been doing right now. Ben moved back to California when he was 19. In the beginning, he slept on his aunt's couch in San Jose, and he did a lot of random stuff. Unloaded clothes at Marshall's and catered events at a law firm. He worked until midnight, moving tables and cleaning up other people's messes. And then he got the job in the kitchen at Google. So instead of being an engineer, Ben is a chef who cooks for engineers. Ben had been saving money for more than five years for teriyaki food truck, when in July 2017, his friend invited him to this free resort in the desert, a 24-hour stay that would change the rest of his life. But Ben had no idea what was coming. That's after a break. (laughs) 
The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. Ben didn't know it yet, but his food truck dream started to crumble when his friend Clifford invited him and two other friends to spend a free weekend at this place called Silver Saddle Ranch and Club. Hey, Ben, Clifford said, it's a free vacation. There's going to be free food and free giveaways. I got a hold of Clifford, but I don't know. He sounded afraid to me. He told me his lawyer told him not to talk to me, and then he hung up. Anyway, so Ben and Clifford and two of their buddies set out for Silver Saddle on the 4th of July weekend in 2017. Thousands of unsuspecting people have made this pilgrimage over the years. Silver Saddle is a six-hour drive south of San Jose. It's in the Mojave Desert, in a town called California City. I've made this drive too, and each time I'd notice a strange new detail. Fields of cows waiting to be slaughtered, breathing air that reeks of manure. Entire forests that have died, weakened by drought and eaten alive by beetles. The Los Angeles aqueduct, that flume of stolen water that allowed that city to boom. An airplane graveyard. And if you listen, you can hear the wind whistle through broken cockpit windows. And finally, after turning east onto California City Boulevard, there's a billboard. It reads, take heed that no man deceive you. So imagine any suburb you've ever been in in America. Now remove the houses from that scene and remove the cars and the trees, the lawns and the sidewalks. Remove the people, remove everything. So all that's left is roads and street signs. Darwin Drive, Da Vinci Place, Gold Rush Avenue. Like, they're very, like, civilized suburban names, and then there's nothing there. Yeah. I remember the first time I drove those roads with producer James Kim. It was dusk, and we kept creeping ourselves out. Oh, there's just people right there. Where? Behind the bush. What? Don't freak me out. I'm just telling you the truth. Oh, my God, I just feel like I'm in a zombie movie. (laughs) It did feel like a zombie movie. Or maybe a city after a bomb went off. All across that empty, flat plain, you see these faded land-for-sale signs that swing from one hinge on peeling wooden posts. They kind of look like the white crosses people put up to mark the site of fatal car accidents. And the desert is covered with them. Like, what What? is for sale? That's so weird. There's an arrow just pointing in the middle of nowhere. The houses you do see are the same color as the dirt that surrounds them. I could see it being a paradise if you don't like people. (laughs) On the city's seal, there's a sailboat on a lake in front of a waterfall. And later, you will pass that lake. It's thick with algae and choked with reeds. The waterfall, you realize, is artificial, and it's gone dry. And on the top, in the concrete, someone has scrawled the words, Lord, 
I'm sorry for all I've done. California City is the third largest city by land area in the state. It's enormous, but it's empty. Only about 14,000 people live there. The only grocery store in town is a Dollar General. The only bar is part of a Chinese restaurant. The only thing there isn't an only of is churches. There's a Baptist church, a Pentecostal church, a Catholic church, a Kingdom's Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses, and a little white shack out in the middle of the desert, where, on the 13th of every month, women in white robes claim to see the Virgin Mary in the sky. You pass all of that as you drive to Silver Saddle. As you get closer, your cell signal drops to one bar and then disappears. I actually got, I'm actually very, uh, like, scared. It's like, where are we going? I don't see any houses. And then we got to Silver Saddle. The dirt and scrubby bushes disappear, and there are big leafy trees, succulent gardens, and a duck pond called Lake Maney. They have 80 hotel rooms out here, with loud ACs and old box TVs. They have a pool. They have paddle boats. They have a corral with friendly horses. They have karaoke in English, Tagalog, and Spanish. And they have an upright piano with sheet music for journeys don't stop believing, which is pretty cool. The resort is a nice place for families with young kids, but Ben and his friends thought it was super lame. The horseback ride was just two laps around a dusty circle. The paddle boats got old after five minutes. Even the shooting range was lame. You shot the gun? Yeah. Was it fun? No, it's only like three shots, that's it. It was not the kind of weekend Ben was expecting. So they ended up spending a lot of time in their rooms, four 20-something boys in the middle of the desert with no Wi-Fi and no cell service. It was so boring that Ben got bored just telling me about it. There's nothing really thing to do there. You weren't they that impressed? No, not, not at all. But for a free weekend, it was okay. Ben told me that on Sunday morning, the phone rang in their room. It was the woman at the front desk, reminding them not to be late for the tour. Ben didn't know about any tour. But the woman on the phone said if he didn't go, he'd have to pay for his stay. So Ben and his friends reported to the lobby. There were vans waiting outside, and they all got in. The vans took them to this long, low, wooden building on the ranch, one that's kind of removed from everything else. It's called the Sales Pavilion. And I think this moment was the beginning of Ben losing his money. Silver Saddle wouldn't let me take the tour. They said it was private. But more than a dozen people described it to me. And I have to say, their stories are nearly identical. The tour takes around three hours, and it has four steps. Step one, divide and conquer. In this step, the sales agents start separating people into smaller groups. They have one for Chinese, they have one for Espanol, and one for English. So I attended the English one and Tagalog one with all the Filipino people. Why did they herd everyone by ethnicity into different rooms? And I was like, what is this, like the 50s or something? Like, we- Rihanna Robles went on the tour with her parents in 2016. 
And she says they got sucked in too. But she thought the whole thing was bullshit. Like Ben, she got put in the Filipino room. She said it was this small little movie theater and it was really dark and the seats were weirdly velvety. And then they had like this white guy just trying to appeal to us like in our language, like, oh, like the Philippines, right? Like he was like trying to like speak the language in a really crude way. And I, was, I just thought it was kind of like weird. The white guy turned on a video. Um, I don't remember all the details, but I remember a really bad PowerPoint. Like, <laughs> like they kept on showing like these wind turbines and like throwing around like Elon Musk. And I was like, who's Elon Musk? And I re- like now I'm just like, oh, I know who he is. But he was like, yeah, Bill Gates. And like, this is going to be the next Silicon Valley. And like they kept throwing around these really big names. Like the billionaires Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft, is expanding his interest into the area. And then they're bringing up Google and the space industry. Rihanna told me after the presentation, they broke for lunch. Hot dogs, soda, party packs of chips. Hardly final table. And then this woman with dark straight hair, thick fuchsia lipstick, and a watch embedded with Swarovski crystals got up and introduced herself. I'm Marion Ducru. I'm a real estate broker here in California. And I do land sales. Marion DeCrew isn't just any real estate broker. She is the top-selling sales agent at Silver Saddle. She's been doing it for almost 30 years. And almost everyone I talked to had a Marion story. Uh, we loved her to death. She was like our, our mother. She was very friendly. And she made us feel at home. And she made sure that we were taken care of. I guess you can say she wrapped us around her little pinky. <laughs> I think she was doing that to me, too. When we were texting about where to meet up, she sent me a heart eyes emoji. And then, at Panera Bread inside this strip mall near where she lives an hour or so east of L.A., she walked in slowly, taking small steps that made her seem older than she is. She spoke quietly, and she didn't interrupt. I'd been expecting this slick saleswoman, but instead, she was more of an auntie. Is it a good job? It is. It's fun. You know, I meet a lot of people, and uh, a lot of my clients are like family to me already. And if you don't mind me asking, like, does it pay well, too? Um, it's, for me, yes, because I have a lot of clients, you know. How many do you think you have? In so many years, probably thousands already. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. I didn't know then how much money Marion made. But it looked like she spent a lot. I know because I follow her son on Instagram. He also works at Silver Saddle. And I know that sounds weird, but whatever. I'm a reporter. Marion's son has posted pictures of her in front of the Glass Pyramid at the Louvre, a cobblestone street in Lisbon, and posing with lumberjacks and sled dogs on an eight-day Alaskan cruise. But my favorite post of his, Marion is standing in the middle of the road, outside what I'm pretty sure is her million-dollar house in Corona, cupping her hand so it looks like she's holding up the end of a rainbow. So back at Silver Saddle, Marion tells Ben and his friends that it's time for the next part of the tour. She was going to take them to visit some model homes a mile away. And this is part two, the neighborhood. A way for you to imagine what this place could look like in the future. Yeah, they put us into like this van. Kind of, we were all kind of squished in there. It was really hot at first. Um, we were all really awkward because we didn't want to be near each other. 
they drove us. I don't really remember how far it was, but it wasn't too far. But I remember the houses, they weren't built next to each other. Like there's a lot of like space in between them, but they're still in the same like, like neighborhood. I've been there too. There's maybe 20 houses on hundreds of empty lots. Some of them were boarded up. Some had barbed wire holding the gates shut. One had a deflated football in the driveway. But some had tomatoes growing out front and freshly watered flowers. Ben said on his tour, they stopped in front of this one big house. And Marion told everyone it was her house, and they were all kind of impressed. They walked inside. The AC was blasting, and the carpets were freshly vacuumed. Ben and his friends flopped on the beds and took goofy pictures of themselves. Rihanna peeked inside the bathroom. They brought us up and they said like, oh, well, here in California City, um, you know, you can take like a Hollywood shower. A Hollywood shower? Yeah, that's what they called it, a Hollywood shower. And they're like, yeah, our faucets are like fully like flowing. So they were talking about how they had a lot of water? Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was kind of ironic for like the middle of the desert and we were in a drought at that time. On the way out, Rihanna noticed a nice SUV parked next door with groceries in the back. She wondered if it was some sort of prop, because it didn't seem like anyone lived there. The whole thing felt staged. Part three is the vision. Ben and his friends got back in the vans, and they drove with their salespeople to the tour's third location, Galileo Hill. Legend has it that the founder of California City loved going up here and looking out at his creation. And it really is a great view. You can see for miles, far across the empty desert plain. You can see the sunset over the southern Sierra Nevada to the west and the distant glow from Los Angeles. But mostly what you notice is the spiderweb of roads. It's what James and I noticed our first time up there. It's just massive, the amount of land that's out here. And the roads just, there's so many roads on every single direction. They're all leading to nothing. Everyone I talked to told me a similar version of what happens up here on Galileo Hill. Your sales agent tells you there's a future here. Just close your eyes and you can see it. You can be a part of it. Almost every city in California started out empty, like this. Palm Springs, the San Fernando Valley, Irvine. Can you imagine if you had bought land in one of those places before they boomed? Imagine how much money you would have. What's so amazing to me about this pitch is that you are looking out at absolutely nothing. And sometimes I think that's the reason this pitch works so well, because of how empty it is up there, looking out from Galileo Hill. It makes anything seem possible. A city, a space exploration center, a field of wind turbines, whatever. This empty desert is a blank canvas that the salespeople can paint a dream on. Like, it was a good, like, primarily a good investment. Like, saying, like, oh, if you buy this land now, it's going to skyrocket later. Kind of, like, that was kind of, like, their whole appeal. It's, it may be worthless now, but it's going to be worth a lot of money later. Part four is the close. You get back to Silver Saddle. A different room. One with a lot of small cafe tables and tall windows. I've seen pictures of this room. The wall is covered in photos. There's Walt Disney... And then there's all these rich dudes from the Philippines under these big silver letters that say land barons. There's a huge gong hanging from the ceiling. And whenever anyone closed their deal, their sales agent would get up, 
walk over, and strike it with a mallet. This is where they explain to you exactly what they're selling. Because by now, you've heard about Elon Musk and Google. You've seen the Hollywood shower. You've heard about the other people like you who made it big when they bought land early. And after the break, it's your turn. Colorado River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. So here's something I learned a lot about when I was trying to figure out what exactly Ben was buying into. Land banking. Land banking is where a bunch of people jointly own a huge chunk of land. Kind of like being an owner in a co-op apartment, except what you own cooperatively isn't a building, it's land. In this case, the land was the 1,020 acres of empty desert that you could see from the top of Galileo Hill, including the Silver Saddle Ranch property and it was divided into 4,000 shares. They give you this pamphlet saying, one day, this land will be worth a lot of money. And then, when you sell it to a developer, you and your 3,999 co-owners will all get rich. But Ben, I don't know. He told me he just wasn't convinced. How come? Um, Because it's in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And... There's nothing really to do there. You need to travel like 25 miles away from that location to go to the stores. So he was like, fuck it, I'm out. And he got up to leave. But as Ben was walking out the door, Marion started calling after him. Ben, don't go. We're going to do a raffle, a TV, a night in Vegas, a cruise. Don't you want to stay for the raffle? And in a moment, he would come to regret Ben decided to stay. I I didn't realize that you were about to walk out and that they somehow changed your mind. Yeah, I actually don't know what happened. Really? I don't know why I bought this land. I think because they're offering me a lot of um, free stuff. So we walked back in. And what happened next sounds like a how-to guide for high-pressure sales. Ben says Marion told him there was a promotion going on but only if he bought today. So they were trying to say if you buy it today, it's cheaper? Yeah, they're going to give you $10,000 off. And she said, this is only for today. If you go here tomorrow or the following days, it's going to be back to $35,000. Ben told her he didn't have that kind of money. And then I told them I don't have cash. And then they said, oh, credit card works. If you have credit card, we can do that. Another classic sales tactic. Turn a no into a yes. At some point, Marion switched to Tagalog. She told him they would work together and she'd help him make money. She even called him my son. Hey, listen, my son, you can make good money, my son. You can trust me. Her strategies make people 
to like fall in love with her, trust her, and she's saying like, oh, mga kababayan means like my people. I want you to make money. I want you the guys to become rich. So you need to trust me, like that. I asked Marion, how do you do it? How do you get people to trust you? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I have the charisma. Maybe it runs in my blood. And I tell them my experiences inland, and they can relate to me. Because a lot of people in the Philippines, they were farmers, but they inherited big land that was nothing before, and now they have hundreds of millions of pesos. That's why I think the Filipinos, they love to buy land. Me too, I love to buy land. I buy land wherever I can. I looked at all of Ben's receipts, and his share of the land banking project cost him $24,990. But with all Silver Saddle's escrow charges and lender fees and contributions to something called the Capital Improvement Fund, it came to $31,540 total. But he said Marion assured him he would make that money back. All he needed to do was bring in new customers. Was this kind of the thing that convinced you to do it, that you would get your money yeah, back? Yeah, She told me like, this is super easy, guys. Just 10 people, and then you're gonna get 20,000 plus additional $10,000. For each referral who bought into Silver Saddle, Ben would get $2,000. And with that, he was in. The sales manager got up and walked over to the gong. He hit it loud and hard. And then a different guy came over and placed a giant stack of paper in front of Ben and started flipping through it. You they, just, they just told me like, okay, initial here, okay, initial here, initial here. How fast were they going through this? Like, like super fast. Here's the first page, um, put your initial here. Okay, here's the next page, initial. Initial, 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 sign and date. So they didn't really let you read it? No. Did you feel like they were rushing you? Yeah, they, they were rushing me, but at the same time, since they're Filipino, I'm Filipino, we're speaking Tagalog, and once you're speaking Tagalog, it's like you really trust that person. So all I did is just trust, trust them and do what they want me to sign or everything. Most of us don't really understand the reams of legalese we agree to when we buy a house or take out a car loan or sign up for Facebook. And Ben was no different. He says he didn't remember initialing all kinds of things in his contract, like the disclosure that his one four-thousandth share of the land banking project would be very difficult to resell, like that there was no cancellation period, like that he was obligated to pay $41 a month in membership fees to Silver Saddle Ranch for the rest of his life. To avoid Silver Saddle's 15.9% interest rate, which was five times higher than a car loan at the time, Ben paid the purchase price in full. $31,540, gone. What he got was a 40-inch TV and a camera that he said didn't really work. And he got his photo taken with a cowboy hat on, standing next to Marion DeCrew. When Ben got home, he was finally able to Google Silver Saddle. He was really excited. But then he found their Yelp page. Let me guess. You're looking at this review because you got a call from Silver Saddle stating that you won a consolation prize in the Do supermarket raffle. Do you want to be a millionaire? Make money? 
It's a good deal. Shame on you guys because you were preying on your kababayas. I saw a lot of red flags. They conducted business with me knowing that I was inebriated. Gross. Just gross. That piece of desert? Never gonna be developed. The only things that live there are the coyote. So when you first saw the Yelp reviews, like, how did you feel? Oh my god, this is a scam. And with that panicked thought, Ben sat down and wrote an email. It said, Hi, I think I got scammed, and I want to ask if I can get my money back. I found out that your company had a lot of complaints and lawsuit. Regards, Benjamin Perez. I gave my number, and then there's no response. But a few days later, his phone buzzed just before 11 p.m. It was Marion texting him. You emailed the company bad about me, she wrote. I treated you right, and now you're telling people I lied. I will sue you for defamation of character and false accusations if you will not stop this. You signed a valid legal contract on your own free will. Nobody forced you. Were you surprised that she threatened you because she had been so nice to you? Yeah, I feel feel like you're not the person that I first met. You were very nice to me and then all of a sudden you're gonna sue me. And I feel like you're, you're a bad person. You're doing this to your people as a Filipino people. When Ben told me about that text from Marion, it was the closest I got to seeing angry internet Ben. It bothered him nearly as much as losing $31,000. Marion, who called him son, who he trusted, she was threatening him. I got to see this side of her too. She told me she owned a share of the land banking project, but I couldn't find the deed in the assessor's database. And there wasn't one for the model home near Silver Saddle that she told Ben she owned. When I texted her about it, she responded that it was none of my business, and she called me a liar. She said she had paperwork proving she owned a share, but then she refused to show it to me. And then she wrote, quote, I will refer you to my attorney if you continue harassing me. No more heart eyes emojis. For me, it was just unsettling. But for Ben, it was traumatizing. That's his word. He said he stopped contacting Marion, stopped contacting Silver Saddle, stopped trying to get his money back. But he didn't stop thinking about it. I feel like I lost hope. I feel like I'm... I'm a stupid person. I feel very down for giving away my money. What do you mean when you say you lost hope? Um, that money is supposed to be for my future. And now I lose my future. I lose hope. So it's very a big, big deal for me. Do you ever like have dreams about it? Yeah. Like nightmares. Like what happens in those dreams? I feel like I'm very down. I feel like um, I'm gonna, I'll gonna be stuck for who I am right now, as a low person without any money and without being successful anymore than what I thought before. So I have nightmares about that. Like you, you like you're this way for the rest of your life. Yeah, I'm gonna be stuck like this. When Ben says low-class person, I don't think he just means poor. He means a failure, a disappointment, 
someone with big dreams that will never come true. I don't think you're a low-class person. Mm-hmm. I feel I really feel like this could happen to anybody. Yeah, it, yeah, it really affects me. You can see I always have these under the table. Really? If I have- he pointed at the tote bag of silver saddle brochures and contracts, the one he grabbed before we went to the mall. It was under the coffee table, next to the couch. The couch that's also his bed. It's always under here, the table. The silver saddle yeah. stuff's always under the yeah. table. Silver saddle is there when he's awake. It's there when he's asleep. It's there when he's at work, cooking chicken teriyaki for Googlers. It's there when he's at home, watching Final Table. It's easy now to understand why Ben mumbles. He's not shy. He thinks he's a low-class person. It's like he wrote in his Yelp review, Now I feel stupid and ashamed about myself. I later learned that state investigators believe more than 2,000 people have bought into Silver Saddle since 2011. They believe that each of those people spent up to $30,000 on a slice of empty desert land that they thought would make them rich. And they believe it was actually Silver Saddle who was making the money. $56,517,148, to be precise. Like I said, I told Ben I'd try to figure out what happened to him. And I did try. I spent years looking into it, weeks staying in California City. I'd paid a guy with a stringy goatee 40 bucks to fly me over California City in a Cessna so I could see what it looked like from the air. I drank shots of Jack Daniels with Arthur the bartender at the Green Tea Garden, the town's only Chinese restaurant. I sang Goodbye Earl, which is my go-to Dixie Chicks song, at karaoke at the American Legion. I bought groceries at the Dollar General. I talked with more than 150 people. I'd poured over hundreds of pages of government filings and court documents, tax records, land records, blueprints, emails, texts, even a dissertation on the architecture of California City. And in the process, I realized that this desert real estate investment that Ben got wrapped up in It didn't start 10 years ago, and it's way bigger than Silver Saddle. Its roots spread out all over California City. It's been going on for 60 years, long before Silver Saddle existed, and tens of thousands of people all around the country, all around the world, have paid the price. So what year did you buy the land? Uh, 1965. My mother purchased the lot in the early 1970s. I can't even give it away. We bought the lot in March of 71. They gave us a free lunch, which, (laughs) as you know, there's no such thing as free lunch. The the whole thing was that was going to, the, the land was going to become very valuable in just a matter of a year or two. And we thought it was a golden opportunity and we're going to make millions off of it. Yeah, they they sold the vision. That's what they were selling. They had nothing there to sell. I feel like I've invested into a giant hole that's getting deeper. To understand Ben's experience, I had to know how Silver Saddle came into existence. I had to go back to 1958. 
to meet the man who first stood on Galileo Hill, a man in a dark suit wearing a Hamburg hat, a Czechoslovakian immigrant so charismatic, so convincing, that some people believed he'd been given a vision from God. A man with a dream, a dream to build a utopian city from scratch in the Mojave Desert. A dream that evolved into a scam, a scam that robbed so many other people of their dreams. Next time on California City, Nat Mendelssohn, the man who started it all. California City was written and reported by me, Emily Guerin. Arwen Champion-Nix and James Kim did our sound design, production, and story editing. Mike Kessler was the editor. Fact-checking and additional production by Gabriel Donatoff. Valentino Rivera is our engineer. Original music by Andrew Epen. Our website is laist.com slash California City. It was designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Go there to see old ads and marketing material from California City over the years, as well as beautiful photos by Chava Sanchez. Leo Gomez designed our visuals and our logo. Thanks to all the people who read our Yelp ads, Carla Javier, Leo Duran, Tamika Adams, Lori Gallaretta, Yinji Wang, and Chava Sanchez. The Jane and Ron Olson Center for Investigative Reporting helped make California City possible. Ron Olson is an honorary trustee for Southern California Public Radio. The Olsons do not have any editorial input on the stories we cover. California City is a production of LAS Studios.